Dynasty Blueprint with Matt Williamson and Ryan McDowell. Welcome to another edition of the Dynasty Blueprint. I'm your host, Ryan McDowell, joined as always by Matt Williamson. Matt, we finally have some real football in the books. How did week one treat you? All in all, pretty well. Um, My Steelers really took it on the chin, to say the least, and that's what I've been putting out that fire pretty much all week. But yeah, it's great to see it. I mean, the games on Monday night were fun. That Houston Saints game was awesome. A lot of fantasy production, a lot of... Young receivers stepping up. Are they legit or not? Much to discuss, my man. There's a, a lot to talk about. The Steelers, uh, so frustrating. I I feel like on this show, on, on DLF, on pretty much everywhere uh, all summer, I I had some high hopes for Dante Moncrief. He, yeah. he is not good. He's not good. <laughs> <laughs> it, sure it wasn't was, good, yeah. It, it was bad, yeah. We'll, we'll see if he gets another chance uh, to... Uh, to, to be a starter there, but it, it didn't go well in week one. No. Uh, Matt, we've got one of our buddies with us. We've got Dan Sanio. Dan came on late in the uh, regular season last year to share some of his, his dynasty recaps. He does those uh, each week on Twitter and we liked him so much. We wanted to hear them in audio form. Uh, and now we've brought him back. Dan, how's it going? I'm back. I'm grateful to be here. I appreciate you guys having me back. Uh, I'm guessing maybe last time didn't completely bomb, so that's always a positive. <laughs> yeah, the the Tuesday Twitter recaps after, uh, you know, I, I sometimes last year would write them a Monday night late, and it just got to be a little too much clutter. I, I give it Tuesday morning to digest, wake up, have a cup of coffee, and uh, hammer it out. And then, of course, today, while I was uh, actually about to submit it, I hit the good old back button on my browser because I hadn't ever had an issue with it being oh, deleted. No. Uh, and yeah. um, kapoof, there it goes. So it got out a little later today, but you can expect it normally um, Tuesday mornings uh, between 9 and 10 a.m. Central. I love it. I love it. It is a, it's a great recap. And so much, my favorite thing about it is just that it is dynasty focused because even as dynasty players, we get in regular season mode and, and sometimes we, sometimes it's hard to keep that dynasty lens and, and you, uh, you definitely keep it in that recap. And, and that's why we've got you here, uh, this week. And, and I don't know if this goes well, maybe, maybe we'll bring you back again. We'll see. <laughs> I like it. Dan, let's. I, I, we're not going to talk about every game. We can't do that. But I, I did notice a few things in your recap that I, I want. Uh, I just want to hear more about, and and certainly some topics can't be avoided. I think we have to start with Lamar Jackson. I know all three of us are big fans of Lamar, so I'm sure we were all happy to see the way he played in Week One. And for me, this is one of the, this is one of the biggest games I think d- Dynasty players have to make a decision on. And you you kind of took note of it on Twitter. Yeah, Lamar was great. Mark Ingram Ingram was great, and and Hollywood and and the entire offense was amazing. But the Dolphins, right? So we've got to weigh that. How much of this is really what we can expect from Baltimore and from Lamar Jackson moving forward, and, and how much of it was a product of just playing one of the worst teams any of us have have ever seen? Yeah, they're bad. They're they're definitely bad. I think. I think this one was a perfect way for for Lamar to start the season because he he you know it may be kind of a cupcake thing similar to his days in college you know you start the year off with kind of a cupcake obviously they couldn't plan on that this year but we saw glimpses of what he could do in college we didn't get to see much outside of his rushing ability in his rookie season so watching them 
throw him out there and and be comfortable. Call a game where he's actually able to show off his skill set that isn't the rushing game. I think he only had a few carries for a few yards. So they really took advantage of his arm. And we got to see, you know, rookie uh, Hollywood Brown. We got to see Mark Andrews. But Lamar was really the focal point. And yet the volume wasn't great, which a lot of times in our high-end quarterbacks, that's what we're chasing. We're chasing volume. And the volume really wasn't there with Lamar. But man, was he efficient. And what it reminded me of a lot of was the way Russell Wilson produces. Russell doesn't have a ton of volume, but man, is he efficient. Now, is Lamar's as sustainable as Russell's? Probably not. Uh, We did get the Dolphins here, so we kind of have to take that with a little grain of salt. But he looked great in the process doing it. The throws were crisp. He was really good down the field. And his his, uh, targets, you know, his wide receivers and tight ends, they're getting better. We're obviously only into one week of, of Marquise Brown's career, but watching Lamar kind of click with these guys and be able to throw the football I think was really, really promising. And this was a game where we didn't even have to establish his floor with the run. We get to see more of his ceiling than his floor. So I think in closer games we'll see him running the ball more. I think this was one where he really got to, got to be comfortable and, and kind of unleash. Yeah, I think that's well said, Dan. And a key there is, yeah, he put up huge numbers, but I think two things to take away from it are he threw the football very well, confidently, accurately, um, on time, and he didn't run. And you know that's coming. Yeah, I, I didn't. I didn't see the official numbers as far as uh, how much pressure the uh, the Dolphins got on him. Uh, but I, I feel pretty confident saying it wasn't much. So you know he was not he was not forced from the pocket much in that game. Maybe maybe not at all. Um, and as they yeah Dan as you said as as they play better teams better defenses, we should see him run a little bit more, which is good for fantasy players and and certainly probably not going to throw quite that well. Not going to have another game like that very soon. Uh, let's let's figure out where to rank him in current dynasty quarterback uh, situation right now looking at uh, our most recent ADP it's it's of course obviously from before the season started it's August and even then Jackson was uh, being drafted as the QB 13 so just outside that QB one range Uh, how high can we move this guy up looking at some of the names above him certainly some players who had some disappointing week ones Jameis Winston Matt Ryan Cam Newton uh, all directly above him, and and Andrew Luck is is still up there in that data as well. Obviously, he will fall. So, how high is too high, Dan, to rank Lamar Jackson? Well, I think too high is is getting yourself above the Russell Wilsons. Uh, I think Cam has slid down because of injury, but he I think is due for a pretty nice season. Honestly, though, I think Lamar should be ahead. Obviously, of your Winston's, I think he probably right there with Goff. I think he should be ahead of Matt Ryan. And the guy who I linked him to early on in, in what I was saying was was Russell Wilson. So honestly, I think you could plot him anywhere between 8 and 10 in the quarterback range because we did get to see a lot of his, what I see as his floor last year from the rushing portion. We saw that floor established, and now we get to see more of his ceiling through the passing game. So I think between 8 and 10 is probably my comfort zone. 
I don't know that I can sneak him up any higher because you have the established guys, you have the elite guys at the top. But obviously, we're pulling Andrew Luck from this data set, so that gives that. I mean, that gives Lamar Jackson one more spot to slide in. So I think eight's probably the comfortable spot. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, definitely over Ryan, definitely over Winston. I think if I'm drafting right this minute, and I hope I'm not living in the moment too much, I do take him over Wilson. And I think I'd definitely take him over Newton. But the one thing we haven't mentioned, I still worry about Lamar's durability. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a fair point. A couple guys that are pretty firmly ahead of uh, Jackson in ADP, at least coming into the season, were Kyler Murray. He was quarterback eight in this uh, same data. And Baker Mayfield at quarterback four. And, of course, Baker was kind of in the same range, uh, that low-end quarterback one, uh, range following his rookie season, but then the the move for Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, quickly bumped his value up into that top three, top uh, five quarterback range. So overall, big picture, those are a couple of guys who are uh, are not very proven, and, and you can make the case even Jackson versus Baker Mayfield in in fantasy terms that Jackson is the more established of the two. So. Mayfield at QB4, Murray at QB8. Maybe maybe he does belong in that range somewhere closing in on the top five. Yeah, and those two didn't light it up either. Yeah, I think because he's only 22, you've got to have him – you got to have him up in that conversation. I mean, would you take Lamar at this point, or are we still taking 35-year-old Aaron Rodgers? Uh, we kind of saw – we know what Rodgers can be, and then we kind of saw what week one was. Yes, Chicago. Yes, week one. But he's getting up there, and he's probably one of those guys that's going to play until he's 40. But Lamar's only 22. Health concerns maybe because of his size and the way he plays, but there's so much upside there. You, you kind of have to factor that in a little bit more than, than we're worried about the health. Yeah, it's, it's only one game, and, and like Matt said, we don't want to live in the moment too much. But basically, Lamar on, on Sunday was what we have expected Kyler Murray to be. So we'll we'll see uh obviously if he can keep that up and if he can uh he'll be he'll be challenging for QB1 overall rank uh if if he keeps up this uh passing efficiency. You know what though real quick uh, Barry Jackson from he, he he's a big writer in Miami he called me last week and said so Matt the season hasn't even started yet. He's like so this Dolphin team is right after the Tunsil trade. Is it worse than the 0-16 roster we saw from the Browns? And I said, yeah. <laughs> you know, and that was before we even saw this disaster. And I said, if Hugh Jackson wasn't coaching that 0-16 team, they'd probably win two, three, four games where I don't know that this Dolphin team can beat anyone. And I think it's also noteworthy, too, that Lamar gets Arizona in Baltimore next week. So we may... He may be a little inflated in the first two weeks. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, in line for another huge game. Dan, it, it wasn't just Lamar. What about the rest of this offense? Uh, Marquise Brown is, is a guy who was coming in as a rookie, seemed to have a um, kind of split opinion on. Some people had their concerns, myself included, about his size and his injury history and, and just his uh, how he would fit in with the Ravens offense and but then we have the fact that he's wide receiver one in the draft and maybe that wasn't weighted heavily enough he certainly produced even in limited opportunity and and then the other guy was Mark Andrews 
who everyone seemingly was touting as as the next breakout tight end, and and he started out uh, started that out well. Yeah, as a as a Sooners fan, I got to tell you, I'm pretty darn excited for these two guys doing what they're doing. Hollywood Brown was a guy that I saw the flashes of in college. Obviously, he was able to do quite a bit on the field, and obviously, he had great quarterbacks throughout. But it was it was tough to to see that move made to the NFL, especially with the injury. And then he went wide receiver one, and we saw him fall going wide receiver five, six, seven in drafts, which to me was absolutely nuts. And it wasn't a guy I, you know, I was in love with. I was a guy I liked. I ended up with so much Marquise Brown because he was sliding everywhere. So I think, I think we see a little bit of confirmation that he probably should have been the first wide receiver taken. And obviously it's one game we can't crazily overreact, but the limited amount of time he was out there, they were using him, and he looked very good doing it. Obviously a speedster, he's going to get past the defense that way. But he can do a lot more than just run straight lines really fast. So I think I think we've got to move him up substantially from where he was. I don't think he's a wide receiver one or wide receiver two quite yet, but I think he's definitely in that top 30, 35 range. And, and I think we'll only move him up in the coming weeks. Now with Mark Andrews, he was one that, I mean, he was my tight end one coming out for his draft class, even throughout the injury, throughout the whole process. And then he wasn't really able to do a whole lot. And we kind of saw him flash a little bit last year, but we get to see him kind of do, uh, well, not necessarily more because the snaps really still aren't there. But when he's on the field, just like Hollywood Brown, they're using him. So we know at least what their intention is with these guys, but I would like to see more a, a higher snap percentage before we're really you know going throwing the farm in for him because the usage was was a little bit worrisome for me. Quick note on both is is I do think Andrew's usage is noteworthy, but I also think when they're playing for real and it's not a JV game. They're going to have two and three tight ends on the field all the time. And so he's got a really good chance to be one of them a pretty high percentage of the time. And, Dan, you're obviously really familiar with these Sooners, and you touched on it, but do you agree that Marquise Brown is a pretty developed route runner? You know, comebacks, outs, I mean, more than just goes and and uh, post routes. He's very crisp. I think... I think um, one of the, and I, I actually had a conversation with one of my buddies who's actually a, a bigger Sooner fan than I am. Um, he's like an explosive D.D. Westbrook. He's super polished and can do it all, but man, is he explosive. And, and that's, I think, what a lot of people missed on was really what he can do in open space and that he can get behind defenders super easy. Dan, real quick to wrap up the Ravens conversation. Uh, let's, let's try to nail down also the value of Mark Andrews. We'll do it this way. Do you want Mark Andrews or David Njoku? That's a dead heat. I don't know that I can pick one. I'd probably stick with Njoku just because his usage is better right now. But, man, I mean, Mark Andrews, you can't really deny it. All right, so he's, we're looking at him as a top eight, nine dynasty tight end. Let's talk about one of my favorite guys, Amari Cooper and the Dallas Cowboys. Amari had a big game, called a touchdown, went over 100 yards. Uh, but he was actually uh, outplayed or at least uh, – at least on in in the uh, box score by his teammate Michael Gallup, who led the team in receiving. Gallup was another guy that a lot of people seem to be projecting as that second year breakout, and early on, it's it's looking like that's going to happen. 
the Kellen Moore offense was another one that uh, a lot of people were looking forward to and, and kind of attributing to this possible uh, uptick in, in production for Gallup and, and Cooper as well. What did you see from those two? Well, obviously, I think we knew Gallup was that big explosive playmaker, and I think we knew that Amari had the elite traits. Obviously, he kind of comes and goes as he pleases, or maybe that was just the Oakland in him. But I think the biggest thing, and we'll keep the conversation on the two wide receivers, but I think the biggest thing for both of them that people didn't take into consideration was Dak's development and how good Dak actually is. I think he's huge for the two of these guys because they're both very good wide receivers, but you're only as good as what your quarterback's going to be, and he's got to be the one getting you the ball. So I think I think Dak really props these guys up. I think they've got an, a fantastic floor. Obviously, Amari is your elite talent. Uh, he's going to be the guy you're going to be getting earlier in drafts. But Michael Gallup has all of the makings of the wide receiver three type, the number two in an offense that I love to see. Uh, he was a third-round pick, I believe, last year. So uh, he's got a little bit of draft capital to go with him. But, man, did they both play really well yesterday. And, obviously, we're talking about the Giants. So, again, it's kind of like the Dolphins thing where, yeah, we'll kind of see a little bit more when we get real defenses. But these are two guys that that have a lot of stuff going in their corner. And and I think we need to kind of push them where they belong because Amari was getting poo-pooed for the longest time. And he, I still don't think he's quite where he should be as far as valuation. He's getting closer. But I think you've got to have him up in that top four, five, six conversation just because of his production history and what he's currently doing in the offense he's currently in. Yeah, I think that's well said. I mean, I think this is going to be a really good offense. I'm glad you mentioned Prescott. I think he's been underrated as a passer for a while and is finally getting his due after this game and hopefully further. The line you didn't mention, I don't think, is really, really good again. Scheme helps. I think this team in general is really good. Yeah, I think I think the deck point is a good one as well, and and probably one we should dive into more. What, why do why is it that he is never valued like he should? He, I don't think he's he's hardly ever cracked that uh, that QB one range or that top ten of dynasty ADP, but he's been a QB one every year of his of his short career so far. He, he continues to produce, and he continues to be. Uh, bypass for guys like Jameis Winston in in drafts. Why is that? Well, people people love to hate the Cowboys, but they also like to lean on the fact that they have Ezekiel Elliott. They have one of the best lines in the NFL, and everyone just wants to believe that that's that's the reason that Dak is able to produce. Look at what Zeke did yesterday. Yeah, I mean, he, you still have to account for him as a defense, but he did hardly anything yesterday. That offense was all passing. It was all Dak. And they were efficient doing it. So I think it's maybe time that people kind of open their eyes and realize what Dak is. Because like you mentioned, he's been a QB1 every season of his career thus far. He's going to be a quarterback one, assuming health this year. And he's just not being treated as such. And I think it's only fair that we at least give him that credit that he's probably a top 8, 10 quarterback, if not higher. Yeah, like back to the Lamar conversation, I'd rather have Dak than... sure. Cam or Ryan, that's absolutely. For sure. Yeah, I think the the one that came to my mind was Jared Goff. I think Dak and Goff are very close, and uh, you you won't see them too close in in most rankings or or ADP or, or anything like that. So, go. I think I think Dak's better at football. Yeah. Too. Yeah. 
Dan, let's move on to the next topic. And, and I really need, I need to hear you out on this one because this is one I'm worried about. The Vikings offense. We saw them run the ball nearly 40 times. We saw them give Kirk Cousins just 10 pass attempts. He was efficient, completing 8 of 10 passes. Uh, Adam Thielen still had a decent day catching a touchdown. This this basically aligns with everything that they they did this offseason, with everything that we heard that they wanted to do. They wanted to be a run-heavy offense. Uh, this this ratio is probably not one we're, we're going to see every week, but but it feels like that's what they want. So I'm I'm worried about... Diggs, I'm worried about Thielen, uh, and and certainly I don't know how much we were counting on Kirk Cousins as a fantasy option, but he's he's clearly in that QB two range if you're looking uh, if you're playing in a super flex league, and and he's performed as a QB one uh, plenty of times in the past, so so some cause for concern for him too. You're a little more optimistic on on these guys, so let's hear it. Well, I mean, you're absolutely right. They they did what seemed like everything they wanted to. This was this was the way Zimmer wanted to play football. But game script absolutely matters. The Vikings dominated this football game from the very first snap. Anthony Barr went in, got the sack, and honestly, it, that just kind of seemed like the football game, and that seems pretty silly to say. But Atlanta just never got it going. That defense absolutely smothered them. Minnesota didn't have to do a whole lot of anything because Atlanta was giving them ball in great field position, and they were able to protect their lead the same way that Atlanta wasn't able to protect their lead uh, just a couple of years ago in the Super Bowl. So I, I think, yeah, it, it's a little bit of cause for concern, but even Kurt Cousins said he's never, ever played a game in his whole life except for maybe you know really early on youth football where he's only throwing 10 passes. So while the floor may be a touch lower, I think this is an absolute outlier. Uh, while I do expect the Minnesota defense to continue to dominate, I don't think they do it quite in this fashion. I think we definitely see Kirk hover around that 20 to 25 range for for more your consistent floor. And they're still going to have games, though. They're going to be throwing the ball quite a bit, especially when they're playing Chicago and Green Bay. These, these divisional matchups that are going to be a little more tough than playing what turn into kind of a cupcake Atlanta team but um, I'm, I'm not overly worried I will say that I did start to fade Kirk during the offseason because of the way the team was being built but that doesn't mean that they can't still produce in the passing game because it's built to be an efficient passing team and a volume rushing team so I, I still think with this outlier that they're going to continue to produce just fine are we going to have two wide receiver ones again in this offense? Absolutely not. Are we going to have a wide receiver two and probably a high-end wide receiver three? Most likely. That's kind of where I have them both. I'm not as worried as most, but if you're still able to get the name price for a Stefan Diggs or for an Adam Thielen, I think at current market, I'm fine moving them as long as you're getting production back because they are still going to produce. It's just not going to be that high-end production we're used to. Yeah, I'm with you on all that, too. And Cousins isn't for me and never really has been. Diggs and Thielen still are, and I look at them as buy low opportunities or at least make an offer. Because even the, the the tight ends and third receivers are kind of non-existent. I mean, I think Irv Smith might be fine, and Cook's going to catch some passes, but we know where the football's going when they air it out, and this is absolutely going to be an outlier. I, I hope you're both right, and, and Dan, you 
you answered every question I, I was going to ask you as far as how are these guys going to finish. We did see them both uh, as wide receiver ones a year ago and totally agree with you. Obviously, that's not going to repeat itself. Uh, I would be surprised if either one of them finishes wide receiver ones, which it sounds like you're on board with that as well. Diggs is currently being drafted as a late second rounder, uh, Thielen as a third rounder. And I also agree with you that I would, I would cash out on, uh, on both at that price. Thielen to me is one, one of the biggest sells in dynasty right now. Uh, he's, he's, if I've got him on my roster, he's one I'm trying to move soon, soon. Makes perfect sense. And you know what else makes perfect sense, Ryan? Using our friends at Harry's. I've been using them forever. I used to have problems with blades because my skin was real sensitive. I get bumps and lumps. So I used uh, went to a, an electric until I found Harry's. And humans have been shaving for over 5,000 years. They've used flint tools, the shark teeth, the first copper razors. And humans always knew the great shaves come down to simple, sharp, durable blades. The ancient Greeks didn't need flex balls or heated handles, and neither do you. That's why Harry's doesn't add gimmicky features to their razors. They focus on qualities that actually matter for a close, comfortable shave, and they never upcharge you. So, join the 10 million, including myself, who have tried Harry's. Claim your special trial offer by going to harrys.com dynasty. I told you already that I love you know this blade much more than any ones I used to use that used to carve up my face. They're quality, durable blades at a fair price, only $2 per blade. And to keep prices low, they cut out the middleman. They own a world-class blade factory in Germany. They've been making some of the best razor blades now for in the world for over 99 years. They can provide great quality at factory direct prices. And 1% of sales are donated to organizations that provide access to mental health care for men. That's pretty cool if you ask me. So this is what you do. Listeners to our show can redeem their Harry's trial set at harrys.com slash dynasty. You get a weighted, wonderful handle for a firm grip, five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and a trimmer blade, rich lathering shave gel with aloe to keep your skin hydrated. It smells great. My wife loves it. And a travel blade cover to keep your razor dry and easy on the go. Go to harrys.com slash dynasty to start shaving better. Dan, we have one more topic I've got to ask you about, and I'm going to sneak a few different players into this one. I just want to know, are these guys for real? We, As we always do in week one, we saw some surprising performances, and it's always the challenge to figure out, have these players turned the corner this offseason? Have, have they turned into a new player? Are they ready for a breakout? Or, or, or is this just a fluke that hap- that took place in, in week one? Let's start with John Ross. He's been viewed as one of the biggest busts in, in in dynasty football over the over recent years. A top ten NFL draft pick, a uh, actually went one hundred and one in in many many dynasty rookie drafts, and has done has done nothing for the Bengals the past two seasons. We saw a third year breakout wide receiver last year in Tyler Boyd, and now we've got AJ Green missing time. Can Ross repeat that feat and be? a a breakout third-year receiver this year? Well, you know, obviously with A.J. Green out, there's a lot of opportunity to to go to another wide receiver because we assumed Tyler Boyd was going to be one of the main uh, main pieces in that offense. But John Ross was a first-round pick, like you mentioned, top 10, seemingly drafted because of his elite speed. 
but we haven't seen him really healthy quite yet, and he looks to finally be healthy. He was he was doing some things on the field yesterday that I hadn't really seen him do quite yet. Um, 50-50 balls, does he need to work on his, you know, his high-pointing and, and using his hands? Absolutely. But he's putting himself in the right positions, and he's actually making the catches, which I think is really, really important for him moving forward because that's going to give him more confidence, and obviously it's silly to say, obviously it's important to make a catch, but these are the things that he's struggled with. He's struggled with drops. He's struggled with, with creating separation and, and getting open and staying healthy. So I think for the time being, while we don't have A.J. Green, it's going to be important to see what Ross does and if he's able to continue to contribute at a high level. Now, I don't think we're going to see anything crazy like we saw on Sunday, but I, I think he's definitely going to be around and he's going to be used. He'll be out there in their three wide receiver sets, uh, I think once AJ Green comes back, he'll he'll return to kind of dominating the targets. But again, just like some of these other guys we've talked about during the show, another piece that kind of goes by the wayside is how kind of incredibly good Andy Dalton has been, especially when you're considering fantasy production. He's supported fantasy producers basically his entire career, while he's not the gunslinger that everyone wants or the high volume guy that everyone wants. He's definitely not a great quarterback. But he's able to produce, and he's keeping keeping these guys afloat. He's given A.J. Green most of his elite years. We've seen him do it with Tyler Boyd in a big season last year. And I think he can support a few guys. Now, that's going to mean that they're all probably going to slide down a little bit from that high-end production because the volume has to be split up. But I think John Ross, assuming he stays healthy, ha- kind of has a foot in the door finally, and, and he's going to have a place in this offense. Yeah, you know what? When when Zach Taylor took that job, I looked at them and thought, "How's he going to view his new pieces to play with?" And immediately, I thought, "John Ross isn't that much of a squint to be Brandon Cooks." I mean, that's going to be his role. And can he stay healthy? Will he be as good as Cooks? Probably not. Probably not. But there is a distinct role for the guy in this offense. We've we've seen a couple different types of games from from John Ross. Uh, over the past couple of years, when he has been on the field and healthy, we've we've seen him uh, last year, uh, late in the season. Green was out, Tyler Boyd was also out, and Ross got a chance to be the man. I think he saw uh, nine or ten targets, and he had one catch. Um, so it was just it was so frustrating when you think this this talent is finally going to uh, get a chance to produce. The other. Th- the other types of games he's he's uh, put together, and this was earlier last season, limited volume, but he he scored touchdowns. He had multiple touchdowns in one game, and he end up ended up. Uh, I, I think he tied for the lead, the team lead in touchdowns a year ago. Even even though he didn't have a certainly didn't have a very good year overall. So this this game was nothing like that. He led the team in targets again, twelve targets. Uh, and was was fairly efficient with seven catches and and the big yardage total thanks to um, the the long touchdown play. Um, so this this does kind of feel like a new John Ross. I'm I'm not sure if we're we're ready to to totally turn the corner with him. But Dan, I agree with a lot of what you said, and you recommended on Twitter in in your wrap up to buy John Ross, and I think 
I think I might actually agree. This is crazy. I can't believe it. <laughs> well, he's so inexpensive that it's kind of hard not to say. Even with the big game, people are going to move him up. But he's he's going to be, you know, I think he's going to be more relevant than not. And with a game yesterday, you know, you talked about um, the previous games where he would have a bunch of targets and almost no catches or one catch. And yesterday, you know, 12 targets and only seven catches. But a lot of that goes to the types of targets he's getting. If it's down the field or if it's contested ball, he's not going to win all those, and he's not going to get to all of them. It might be underthrown or overthrown. Uh, the type of targets, I think, matters too. So I think what we saw from him yesterday was really, really good in the sense that we saw him take a big step forward. As long as he's playing in the state of Washington, he tears it up. <laughs> there you go. That's true. That's true. Uh, let's talk about another guy. I'm wondering if he is for real. I'm not as sold on this one. DJ Chark, the, uh, the Jaguars second year receiver, uh, even after Nick Foles left the game, he had a huge touchdown catch from Gardner Minshew, the, the rookie quarterback. He made a great catch. It was a great throw. Uh, it, it seems like Minshew is going to spread the ball around. We do see that with, uh, with, with backup quarterbacks in general, they, they don't always seem to focus on that. Uh, that one stud receiver, um, not not that the Jags have a stud receiver anyway, but uh, Minshew spread it around. We saw Conley, Chris Conley have a good game. Chark produced as well. Can he keep it up? Well, that's a big game to, to ask for a rookie quarterback to keep up. But, you know, Chark's a former second-round pick. Obviously, kind of was a, a surprise second-round pick, but it was a second-round pick nonetheless. And what we saw yesterday was the was the big explosive playmaker that he was drafted to be. And Gardner Minshew's going to probably hurt him in the short term. Um, from what I saw from Minshew yesterday, he locked in on his early reads and his, and his primary targets. So that's going to have to develop a little bit over time. But he's still a rookie. And as long as they're going to keep DJ Chark in the game and, and designing plays for him, he's going to get targets and he's going to catch balls. And he's probably going to be pretty explosive. Now, are we going to have four for 146 and a touchdown with an insane A dot and on only four targets? Probably not. But (laughs) he can still be an explosive playmaker and at the very least affect the way the defense plays because now they've seen it and they're going to have to change the way they're playing other players just to protect against him. So if anything, he might open up some work for guys like D.D. Westbrook and guys like Leonard Fournette, um, which isn't necessarily great for his fantasy outlook, but it means that he's important to the offense. And you mentioned Chris Conley in there too. I think a little bit of his was was garbage time. So uh, this might be back to the garbage time Jacksonville team that we're kind of used to. So the volume will probably be there if if that's what we're looking at. Yeah, I think he's useful for fantasy, and I'm open to the idea that he's improving. I mean, there was a lot of you know, preseason, off-season buzz that he's taking a step forward. I don't think he'll ever be a real defined route runner, but like you said, he has a role. For sure. And a lot of times, too, when I'm talking about buying players, uh, and this is kind of important to the threat, actually, when I'm speaking on buying players, it's always relative to market. DJ Chark was hardly being drafted in drafts, and I think that's a big important piece as to why his value needs to increase. He's obviously going to be rostered everywhere now, but you could probably go and throw a third round pick, maybe even a something, add a little something to that, or potentially waiver wire money. You know, it, it, he's not going to be crazy expensive, and he's going to be a nice stash, especially in best ball leagues. I, I think he's a really, really nice best ball asset. 
All right, let's finish up here, Dan, with uh, we'll move to the running back position. Ronald Jones uh, started out slowly for the Bucks, as pretty much as we saw all last season. Uh, but as that game went along, he he really seemed to really seemed to click, and the second half uh, was was a good one for him. It looked like he was the running back that that many had hoped to see all last year during his disappointing rookie season. Uh, what did you see from Jones, and are are you buying or buying, selling, holding him? What are you doing with Jones? You know, I saw a lot of the same. I, I saw a back that did a lot more with his touches, uh, or at least looked to do a lot more with his touches than what Peyton Barber was doing with them. Um, snap share wasn't super, super great. Usage was starting to get there, and the coaching staff has already come out and said they're going to roll hot hand which probably bodes well for Ronald Jones and not very well for Peyton Barber because I think he'll consistently be the better guy or at least look better in games in comparison because that's not a whole lot of competition to beat. Now, Ronald Jones is another guy that has draft capital on his side. He was a second-round pick, and they don't really have a whole lot else invested at running back. So he was someone that I didn't really fall in love with as, as a rookie or even in college, but over time especially with the landing spot and a, and a clear path to touches. Now, that was hindered quite a bit last year, but I think he's starting to definitely grow on me. I, I ended up with a little bit of him last year, but not a ton. And this year, I feel like his value is still pretty sunk. So he, he feels like, again, one of these guys relative to market value is a pretty comfortable buy because he's going to get the lion's share of that work assuming he stays healthy and stays on the field because like I said three times I think already there's not much in his way to these to these touches yeah he has talent pedigree opportunity nothing in his way and I thought he looked really good in week one so yeah I mean last year was a pretty rough way of evaluating the guy give him a chance Dan let's let's look at the these three guys and and we'll cap off the the conversation with this you mentioned maybe buying Chark for a third rounder. I think that's that's probably a little optimistic. Would be would be my guess if you spent a second or a third round pick on him last year. You held him all year. He finally produced. You're feeling pretty good. Let's say the price point for all three of these guys is a random 2020 second rounder. So John Ross, DJ Chark, Ronald Jones. At that price for for a future second round, are you buying or selling each of these guys? I'm definitely taking Ronald Jones at that price tag. I think I think I'm probably countering John Ross and I think I would probably decline the chark but come back with a strong third and some extra on top. I just I don't feel that either of the wide receivers especially considering the 2020 class, obviously we like to project and do those things, but those picks have a lot more perceived value than that of a current player who has one random good game so um ronald jones definitely the other two i think is in the ballpark but i'm probably going back to try to spend a little bit less so you're you're paying the second for jones then for sure definitely you'd pay more for ross than shark is what i kind of heard you say definitely i think so too I'm I'm with you there for sure. dan great stuff today thanks for helping us recap week one we'd love to have you back next week and do this again what do you think well, assuming uh, all things go well in uh, in my life, I, I think I can make it happen. 
in the process of moving and renovating a house. So it's uh, it's a little bit chaotic. I'm I'm in my actual office, well, my back office at work. So uh, I've got a quiet space to do this. So it may end up working. I definitely love being here with you guys. This is always a good time. No excuses. Make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks again, Dan. We'll be back next time with more Dynasty Blueprint. <laughs>